Thank you for listening to Temporary Circumstances. I'm your host, Alina Sowers, a licensed professional counselor in Ohio. And I'm your co-host, Cora Mayfield, a licensed professional clinical counselor in Ohio. In this podcast, we will discuss many uncommon topics on all matters mental health. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to assess, diagnose, or treat a mental illness. For those services, please contact your local mental health provider. Today, we're going to talk about depression. We thought this is an especially important topic right now because the CDC is reporting that adults with anxiety or depressive symptoms continue to climb. Their most recent information reports that in February 2021, 41.5% of U.S. adults suffer from depression and anxiety compared to 36.4% in August of 2020. There are two main diagnoses that we think of when we think of depression, major depressive disorder and persistent depressive disorder, also known as dysthymia. Major depressive disorder is the most well-known, so we'll start there. Major depressive episodes can be part of other disorders such as bipolar disorder, but we'll discuss that in another episode. A major depressive episode is characterized by a group of symptoms that have been present together within the same two-week period. Some of those symptoms include being depressed most of the day, nearly every day. So this is, in general, feeling sad, empty, or hopeless. And this can look like irritable mood in children and adolescents. People suffering from major depressive episode also might have a a diminished interest or pleasure in all or almost all activities most of the day, nearly every day. That means the things that they used to enjoy doing, the people they used to be around, they, they don't enjoy doing that anymore. Many times with depression, there's also changes in sleep and in eating or drinking habits. So we could see weight loss or weight gain, um, something that happens without dieting. Someone who's depressed might also sleep a lot or they may not be able to sleep at all. And they may lose energy throughout the day. They may have a lot of fatigue. There's a lot of negative feelings that people with depression might might experience things like worthlessness, helplessness, hopelessness, or excessive or inappropriate guilt nearly every day. Reoccurrent thoughts of death and some suicidal ideation may come with those thoughts. So with persistent depressive disorder, I look at it as something that's very similar to major depression, but the difference is that with persistent depressive disorder, the symptoms last for much longer. So in this case, we're looking at a period of at least two years. With persistent depressive disorder, the client doesn't have to meet the full criteria for major depressive disorder. And if they do meet the full criteria for major depressive disorder, that's the disorder we would likely choose for them. However, they can meet that disorder on and off throughout those two years. One symptom that's different from major depressive disorder that somebody with persistent depressive disorder might experience is low self-esteem. A little bit of a difference if we're diagnosing children or adolescents there, the symptoms are only required to last one year for them versus the two years for adults. There's a lot of different things that may contribute to someone develop developing depression or, or a depressive disorder. 
that includes genetics, brain chemistry, life events, and medical conditions. When we look at depression, a lot of times it's important to also look at what is going on in the person's life uh, around this time, around the time that they've been depressed. So responses to a significant loss, such as, for example, maybe losing a job and losing finances or a loss from a natural disaster or suddenly having a medical illness or a disability. Um, All of those things can include the feelings of intense sadness and rumination. They can also include those sleep changes or appetite changes that we would see similar to a depressive episode. So those symptoms might be considered appropriate or rational to that loss, but we have to decide as clinicians if this is more than just an appropriate response to an abnormal change or if this is a major depressive episode. And as we're deciding that, something we have to be mindful of is things like the individual's personal history, as well as their cultural norms and what the expression of distress would typically look like for this person or this culture. We try to distinguish grief from a major depressive episode. We consider that grief is predominantly feeling of emptiness and loss. A major depressive episode is persistent depressed mood and inability to anticipate happiness or pleasure. In many cultures, somatic symptoms are likely to constitute some of the presenting complaints. And what we mean by that are those are your physical body symptoms. So again, this could be like not wanting to eat, losing weight, not sleeping, feeling really tired. In many cultures, it is more common to present with those types of symptoms, such as loss of energy or insomnia, than in other cultures. There's a higher prevalence of depression in women, but there's no other clear difference between the genders. In women, the risk of suicide or a suicide attempt is higher, but the risk of a male dying by suicide is higher. So what we mean by that is women may attempt suicide more frequently, but the means that men choose to attempt suicide are usually more lethal. And this is something we have to be mindful of. The possibility of suicidal behavior exists at all times during major depressive episodes. And it can vary from passive thoughts of death, such as maybe it would be nice if I was gone, to actually making a plan for completing suicide. A survey done by the National Institute of Mental Health in 2017 over the course of 12 months found that an estimated 65% received combined care by a health professional and medication treatment. Treatment with medication alone was the least common, with only 6%, and approximately 35% of adults with major depressive episode did not receive any treatment at all. And as we talk about treatment, as Cora just mentioned, there is a possibility for both therapy and medication. Antidepressants are pretty common for, for treating depression. Also, most therapies can be helpful in treating depression. Likely the most common ones or well-known ones are your cognitive behavioral therapies or CBT. There's a couple of different ways that people with depression might receive treatment in therapy. It could be individual therapy. It could be family therapy, group therapy, psychoeducation, or support groups that are separate from therapy itself. 
There are also some alternative therapies. Some of them are newer and some not so much, but some newer ones include TMS that stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. There's therapies such as hypnosis. There's biofeedback. ECT, electroconvulsive therapy, something that still exists today, although it does look very different today than it used to in the past. With electroconvulsive therapy, it is not used today as a main treatment protocol. It is only used in very severe cases of depression and and bipolar, typically. But there are other treatments that we would typically try first before trying uh, ECT. But today, electroconvulsive therapy involves a brief electrical stimulation of the brain while the patient is under anesthesia. First treatment that we're going to reach for with depression, or at least the first two treatments, is going to be talk therapy. It has an excellent track record of helping people with depressive disorders and also antidepressants or medication management through a primary care physician or psychiatrist. One thing to keep in mind is that with antidepressants, they often do take two to four weeks or sometimes even longer to begin having an effect on the person. So just something to keep in mind if you do start an antidepressant, it may take a little bit of time to kick in. From a counselor's perspective, does antidepressants create a bridge to make you fully able to participate in therapy with the hope that eventually you're not going to need them anymore and will be able to utilize the skills that you learned in therapy while you were taking the medication. But in that same vein, at any time that you needed to change or come off of an antidepressant, that's absolutely something that has to be done under the care of a physician. I think this is a good place for us to wrap up for today and provide a brief overview of depression and what we often look for and what can be helpful as far as treating it. But if you or someone you know is thinking of hurting themselves or taking their own life, please call 911 or go to the nearest emergency department or your hospital. You can also call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and that is 1-800-273-8255. Thanks for listening to Temporary Circumstances. Find us on Instagram and leave us a review wherever you found us. 